Welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Chaffer, and today we're going to be talking about marketing and how it can impact your bottom line. We're joined today by Steve Nicholson, a grain and oilseed analyst with Robo AgriFinance. And he's going to be talking about what's going on with the market, some of the key, uh, key things you should know as we go into this spring. So stay with us. It's going to be an exciting show. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us again. I know, uh, you know, our audience was really excited uh, when you gave a, came on and, and gave us an update last fall. So uh, really excited to see, uh, see, see you back on the show here again. So, uh, but hey, for those, uh, those listeners that are new, how about you, you give us a little background and uh, let us know what you do for, uh, for Robo Bank. Sure. So thank you for having me back on. It's great to be back on with you. We had a great time last fall. So I am the Senior Grains and Oil Seed Analyst sitting in the Rural Bank here in St. Louis, um, it's very cold and snowy here like it is across much of the Corn Belt. Um, my background is um, research and analysis, but that's not been all of it. I've done a lot of commodity procurement for Fortune 500 food companies. Um, I've done some grain merchandising and trading along the way. Uh, I also had a little politics in my background as well, so I do have a love for uh, – as I tell people, though, I don't think it's as much fun as it was when I was there. But um, So <laughs> I have – I've, I've had a lot of experience along the supply chain and really have enjoyed my career in agriculture has been, I meet good people like you and I really, really enjoy it. So that is, that is great. Uh, I think we're not going to talk uh, a whole lot of politics, although it's kind of hard, uh, hard not to at least mix some of it in with, uh, with everything that's going on here. That's, that's right. I mean, it's, and I think that's one of the things we realized two or three years ago was that, you know, we'd spent a decade that policy didn't matter. I mean, high prices and, and all of a sudden, uh, two or three years ago, it got to be a big deal. And so policy, it was a, it was a wake up call for us to think about, boy, we got to pay attention to policy because it does impact agriculture for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, you know, one thing is is this year, right? This past year, I mean, yeah. it's no no doubt has <laughs> been uh, been a little crazy on on a lot of different levels, right? Exactly. Uh, I try not to use the word unprecedented because I think we hear that constantly, but uh, right. but it, it, that's that's pretty much what it's been. Um, but one nice thing is, is it seems like the markets have, have really turned around and, and started to look a lot better. Um, what, what's really been the drive, you know, for that? Yeah, it, it is one of these things, and, and unprecedented is a word you don't want to use very often. It's kind of like disruption and sustainability. But I can't remember a time where the markets, if we had talked seven months ago, it was gloom and doom, and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And almost overnight... It just, you know, the light opened up when we were at the end of the tunnel. And the only time I can think of close to that would be in November of 93 when the flood didn't matter, the flood didn't matter, and USDA came back and said, oh, by the way, it did matter, never mind, and the markets turned around. Um, and it, that's about the closest analogy or the closest, you know, year to look at and think that happened. But your, your question is spot on. There are a number of things that drove this, and I think, you know, a lot of these, but there are also some deeper things we have to consider. This is both a supply-led and a demand-led rally. That's pretty unusual. You don't see that happen in the same year. Obviously, it was dry in the Western Corn Belt. And for those people out there, it was tough. It was a tough year to start off with, and it didn't get any better throughout the year. And then on August 10th, the Draco came through right through the center of the Corn Belt where you don't want it to come. Um, and really, particularly in Iowa, really destroyed a lot of acres of corn. 
Um, and, and it didn't hurt Beans as much, but it, it didn't seem like Beans just never really maybe came back from that very well. And so that got this thing started. And, you know, when the USDA started coming out, it kind of, you know, we started to see those, those higher, those lower yield numbers. And of course, it just snowballed throughout the year. So that was one piece that led this market higher. The other piece was the demand side. And this is a much more stronger um, incentive for the market to go higher is demand. And it all centered on China. It, you know, their hog herd was rebuilding. They're moving to the Western style production, Western style feed rations, no more garbage feeding in the backyards. I don't sure how they enforce that, but that's happening. And then just the fact is they need stuff. You know, their domestic food prices are high. Um, I, I'll share this with you because as prices are going up, I, I sort of joked with my colleague in Shanghai and I said, well, are we getting to a place where our prices are too high? And he'd said, no, no, we're, you're a long ways away. Currently, prices in China right now are 11 to $12 a bushel for corn, just to give you a, an idea of what's happening there. Wow. So you, you have, yeah, exactly. So you have that going on. China's rebuilding inventory. And, it, and, and that's the other thing we have to, you know, we sit in a capitalist country. Price dictates what we do, how much we plant, how much we supply. What's the demand going to be? How much do we store? In China, it's all directed by the central government. And, and so, you know, we knew corn inventories went up and the Chinese government said, oh, they're too high and the qualities, we got to get rid of them. So they got rid of them and now they're down to nothing and they needed more inventory. And on top of that, when you look at domestic consumption in China of corn versus domestic production, domestic production is basically flat over the last five or six years. And you see that gap in the last three years between domestic production and consumption continues to, to it's a deficit, if you want to put it that way, or widen, however you want to look at it. And it's going to be a while before that's made up. You know, we're kind of in a two to three year period. I also think there was a lot of things happening behind the scenes in China that we don't that we don't see uh, that have driven these prices and driven them to, to get foodstuffs in there and get moving forward. That's all happened in, in this very short time window. Yeah, that, that's what's amazing to me, Steve, is is just all of the stuff that's happened in China from, you know, the, the issue with the with the, the hogs that they had, with the, yeah. the flu that was going through. Um, you know, you looked at, of course, the, the coronavirus that we have going through this yeah. year. And then also... What about the some of the trade deals that we had with with China? I mean, how did that end up impacting you know just in this whole piece? Yeah, I think I think it impacted some early on. Is that China wanted you know they wanted to have to try to make that because in in that culture you know if you make a promise you you fulfill that promise and so I think there was part of that in the process. But I also have to and and I know we don't want to get too political, but I think we have to inject. When you look at the phase one trade agreement and think about where we are with it today, and do you hear anyone talking about it? No. 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 Absolutely. That was a political uh, that was a political document that, that the Trump administration wanted to have in place so they could hold China to the f- feet to the fire to move them forward. So, you know, no one's worrying about that. I do think part of it is when we look to the Biden administration. I think the Chinese knew they were in, in a tough spot and they knew that the Biden administration probably wasn't going to, you know, not keep their feet to the fire. The tone might change and how the approach is, but they wanted to make a goodwill gesture in the sense of like the ethanol buy, for example. I think they wanted to lay that olive branch and say, hey, we want to do that. 
And we saw the president have a two-hour conversation with Xi Jinping here, I think about a week ago, 10 days ago. So there are things in motion, but I think the, the trade agreement is, I won't say it's dead on arrival right now, but it's really not driving the bus. It's just sheer demand that they have to have foodstuffs. Wow. Yeah. Just, uh, again, just a lot going on. Right. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. it's not, not, not our typical year, I guess. No, uh, let's that's hope right. it's not our typical year. I guess put it, put it that way. It was, it's been exhausting. I'll say that. I, I could imagine. I could imagine. Well, you know, I mean, that's really looking at it from a, a really wide lens and, yeah. uh, and looking at it from a lot of different angles. When we get localized and really get down to the to the farmer, right? I think of my dad right now, who's who's yeah. probably trying to figure out how to market, uh, you know, the rest of, of of his grain, right? Yeah. Um, how is this impact? You know, a lot of our farmers, just their marketing strategies. You know, how, how do you keep up yeah. with this? Well, first of all, it's hard to keep up, and I think we have to acknowledge that right up front. Um, but there are some things we need to think about, and we need to be doing. I mean, your dad back on the farm. My guess is, and I would guess he's not. This is not unusual. Probably some seller's remorse this year. Gosh, if I just held on longer, I could have got a higher price. And, and my answer to that is you made the best decision you could with the information at the time. You know, could you have foreseen the demand side coming from China? Could you have seen all the yield stress from drought and Dureco? I don't think we could have seen all that. Even as late as August, I think we were all sort of surprised by it. So I, I think we have, you know, Give yourself a break. Let yourself off the hook a little bit. Um, let's, you know, let's move forward rather than look back and worry about that. That's kind of my first counsel if you have it. But I think when you look at 2020 crop, if you have 2020 crop left, when you look at the board, I have, I have the board, I'm looking at the futures here right now. You still have corn, you still have soybeans at inverse markets. The market is telling you we are not going to pay you to store it. We want that crop now. And I, and I, so I would be, an aggressive seller of 2020 crop now, get it done. The market's telling you that's what I want. And just as a reminder, kind of two points, if we went back last when we talked, even before we talked a little bit last fall, if I had said you'd have $5 on the on the board, on the corn board, you'd have $6 on the wheat board, and you'd have $13, $14 on the bean board, you would have said, I'll sell my crop for the next 10 years. Okay, let's. here's your chance. Let's do it. Because we know we can make money at these levels, let's do it. We look forward to 21 and 22. It's a different, it's a more nuanced discussion. Can you make money? I'm looking at 21 these corn, 459 and a half as we talk here today. Can you make money selling that board price? Look at your local bases. More than likely, you can. Nope. So let's let's move on. Let's let's get some sales sales in place for 21. You know, if I look at 22 here, you know, the board's trading at 423, not as good a price, but certainly a good price above $4. Let's think about that. I think you cannot let this opportunity go by. Beans is a little tougher decision. You know, the bean market is very, very tight. Um, you look at the inverse in beans, it's, you know, new crop beans right now are 1186. Still not a bad price. Um, probably worth selling some beans there. You look out to 22, it's 1075, you know, then you're starting to get maybe a little bit concerning. But, you know, and I do think I'm a little more friendly beans because of how tight the S&D is. But when you, same thing with wheat, you start looking at wheat numbers and you look out at July of this year and think about where we are in Chicago, where we are in Kansas City, 650 wheat, 
and even look out even farther, you're still above six dollars. Uh, those are those are good numbers. And as I, I, you know, this this makes my 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 banker my banker colleagues happy. If you can take risk off the table now, lock in margins. I'll guarantee your spouse speaks better, sleeps better, you'll sleep better, and your banker sleeps better. And um. this is a margin business. This is not about hitting grand slams or home runs. Let's hit singles and doubles and lock in margins that keep you in business for another year. That's what we're here for. No, I I couldn't agree more, Steve. And and you know you you talk about dad and, and buyer's remorse, right? And uh, there was yeah. some, some beans that got sold right out of the right sure. out of the field, right? And uh, yeah. him and I've had those conversations where it's like, <laughs> man, I missed out on a, on a big chunk. But yeah, uh, I, I think it is to to your point. I think you you have to look at you know, where your risk is, what your average yeah. and, and what the right thing to do at that point in time is, right? I mean, right. if if we could look into the future, uh, you know, we all go back and buy a whole bunch of, you know, Amazon <laughs> stock or something, right? Absolutely. You know, say after <laughs> Monday morning quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, the, the other interesting part, so is there, is there any trends that, are, that the farmers need to be looking at as far as for like a three to six months out, you know, I mean, to, to yeah. start wondering, is this going to start changing as we get closer to, you know, this spring or even into next fall? Yeah. Now, we're optimistic for two or three years that this Chinese demand is real. And you look at the corn, like I talk about corn, boy, they've got a lot of work to do to try to be self-sufficient corn or be there. So we're optimistic for two or three years. But having said that, and your question is spot on, what are the risks out there we need to be paying attention to? So the first thing I think about is I think about the calendar. So what's the next big risk on the calendar that we have to think about that could impact the market that I'm sitting here watching? March 31, we get prospective planning report. USDA showed today, you know, 92 million acres of corn is in their on their balance sheet, 91 million acres of beans. You know, our balance, when we, we just did our 10-year baseline forecast, we were at 91 on, on corn and we were at 89 and some few acres on, on beans. So those are record acres, you know, going forward. So that would be the first time I would think about there could be a risk for this market to have a, you know, a pretty serious correction or setback when it looks at those numbers and go, wow, you know, 180, I mean, could you say, 182, 183 million acres of corn and soybeans, that would be an all-time record. So I have to think about that as well. You know, the other risk, of course, we'll see the final acreage number in June. That would be the next time I would be thinking about where is the risk of what that number is. And also think about that, because that kind of comes in that July 4th timeframe. You know, the July 4th timeframe is a timeframe the market really sort of sits back and thinks, okay, we got the crop planted. We got it up out of the ground. It looks healthy. What is the weather looking forward? What is the pollination weather looking forward? And it kind of thinks, boy, we're too either too high priced or we need to go up or something there. That will be, you know, from a time frame thinking about the risk. And obviously the, the August 10th or the August crop production will be the next time. One of the risks that we're starting to worry about, or one of the risks we're just, two risks we're starting to think about going forward is is China and ASF and her and hogs. Mm-hmm. There's some discussion, and, and we're going to have a more dis- nuanced discussion tomorrow morning, the group, is more mutants of ASF. Wonder if that comes back again. That could be really detrimental to both corn and soybean, soybeans and soybean meal demand. So I think we have to be paying very close attention to that. The other risk, and this is really a little bit beyond three to six months, 
but I think you need to be thinking about it now from a standpoint of looking at your input costs. We all know, and you're an input company, and you know where you were before, you know, during 2006, 7, 8, 9, how things were and how they were after 14. And, it, you know, and I think it's fair to say it's been tough for everybody. So if you're a farmer, and we know as, as, input cost, as commodity prices go up, input costs go up, and farmers will want to take advantage of that. So let's think about maybe we need to think about locking in another year of input costs or what can we lock in to take risk off the table. And, and that's a discussion that farmers need to have with themselves and their operation and also with their input suppliers. There are opportunities for all parties there, and I want to make sure that everyone thinks about that because that's, you know, we want to try to preserve as much margin as long as we can. Yeah, no, that, those are those are great points there, Steve. You know, as as we look at you know making some of these longer decisions, right? And, yeah. I, and and you talked about you know what am I doing for twenty two, twenty three, right? Some of those pieces. Yeah. Um, as a farmer, how would I determine what what percentage do I go with? Because I go back to like this year, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if yeah. a Draco hits, I mean, that was devastating, right? And it's, yeah, absolutely. how do I manage some of that through of saying, I don't want to oversell or overposition myself. How do I kind of work through some of those decisions? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And, and one of the things we always talk about is don't forget you have crop insurance. Crop insurance is your ultimate backstop. You know, granted you're at 75 or 80 or 85% coverage, and and we're not, when we think about 22 coverage or, or you know, selling, you know, uh, selling coverage, you know, I'm not saying sell the whole farm. Let's let's get in there. Let's get 25. Let's get 20. Let's get 25. Let's get a third of that crop on the ground or sold and off the thing. That gives you plenty of room. And, and if you have a Duraco, heaven forbid, um, I don't, none of us want to see that. No, um, not at all. You know that crop insurance is there to backstop you, and yeah, you're going to not make the money you thought you were going to make, but it's going to bring you back to be as whole as you can be as to where you started the year at, and you're not going to be in a hole to start the new, you know, the new crop year. And so we want to you know, make sure that people understand crop insurance is sort of a marketing tool as well. Yeah. It's not just insurance policy. No, I think that's a that's a, a a great way to look at it, right? And yeah. uh, it is a it's a it's a good tool to use there. So, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit, and uh, not to go back into into politics here, but uh-huh. I got to ask one one quick question, sure. just uh, just based around that. Do you see much changing with the uh, with the new administration coming in? I mean, is is there anything that, that you're thinking will change that could impact the markets uh, in a in a big way? Yeah, I don't know that I see a lot when I look at this administration. Think boy, this is really at risk or this is really upside. I don't know that I would say that what they're thinking about from agricultural policy, and I think it's worth talking about some of the things, will impact prices all that much. But having said that, there, I think there are some large things on the horizon or policy issues that are going to impact farmers and their bottom lines. Um, you know, you think about, let's talk first about personnel. Tom Vilsack's back as the Secretary of Agriculture, I think, you know, when we think about the, the you know, stable hand at the helm, I think that's true and that's a good thing for those of us, and I'll, I'll label us as traditional agriculture. Yep. But when you go to the Congress, things look different. In the Senate, uh, Debbie Stabenow from Michigan will be the Senate House or Senate 
Agriculture Committee Chair. Again, traditional agriculture. She's been a friend of agriculture. She's very well aware of agriculture policy, and that's a good hand to have there. But when you go to the House, things are much different. Colin Peterson lost, and now you have David Scott from Georgia uh, will be the new uh, chairman of, of this House Ag Committee. He represents the, I would call the kind of Western donut if you have the Atlanta suburbs. He brings a much different discussion to the table. You know, he's probably not worried about PLC and ARC, you know, per se, like we are. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, and one of the discussions I think we will see in the Biden administration, both in the at, in, both within the administration and both on Capitol Hill, will be hunger and food policy. What is our policy to deal with hunger? It's a fair question, um, and I think that's something we need to think about. Sustainability, environmental, will be a big part of this administration. Uh, we obviously know the new green dealers will be uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I always talk to people about, you know, you think about Joe Biden as a senator and as a, and as a vice president. You know, he doesn't come from that wing of the party. He's a center-left guy. He's not a center-far-left guy. Um, you know, and I think you look at his first, you know, I don't know, well, we've been in, I guess we've been in office about a month now. Um, so, you know, has he done anything really crazy? He's been pretty, you know, kind of back to a status quo as we would expect a, a presidential administration to do. So I, I think we have to be somewhat comfortable in that, but realize there are, the Democratic Party, as much as the Republican Party, they have their splits and they're going to have their family fights, which are going to be brutal. And so that whole sustainability thing, we have to pay attention to. Um, there's going to be more regulatory structure coming to the farm, and farmers need to be ready for that. But I would also just a caveat to that. The sustainability is coming. It's not going to stop. It was coming whether Joe Biden was elected president or whether Donald Trump was elected, because it's coming from lots of different, not just from government, but it's coming from NGOs. It's coming from private business. And, and for farmers... If you have the opportunity, it could be a potential business opportunity for your business to find a market that maybe you had not thought of before. And I want to I want to make sure we end on that note rather than the sky is falling sort of note. And there's such a big change in Washington because there is a big change in Washington. But let's remember there are business opportunities, those changes, and, and let's keep our eyes open for those. You know, I, I've even seen that locally around us. Uh, if you drive across a countryside right now, um, almost every hog hog barn that's out there has a solar system up now, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, and you're seeing this all over. My my wife and I installed one, uh, had one installed on our garage, right? There there's you go. That are, that are going out. But uh, I do think there's actually a lot of opportunities for farmers to take advantage of. Uh, and then you start breaking into the, the carbon market, right? Which uh, yeah. is really coming on uh, quite a bit uh, here lately as well. So, I didn't, you know, Dad and I have talked about that. What are those next steps? What are those yeah. next opportunities? Right. And, you know, you think about, you know, you think about cover crops, you think about methane digesters, and you think about the dairy industry and even beef for that matter. Um, what, you know, can you, you know, think about water? We have a client um, in Kansas who, and I hope I get this all right, is a cattle feeder. When they set that cattle operation up, they were very concerned about water availability. They, they recycle all that waste and pull clean water back out of all that waste and wow. use that in the operation because they're concerned about water. I mean, they're held up as, it's kind of is a wow. Um, there are opportunities there. And 
in a company who buys their beef, let's kind of put that in the supply chain and look at that and go, wow, I can talk about that in my marketing. I'm buying sustainable beef, so to speak. Yep. Those are things that are important that we have to realize. Whether we like them or not, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, believe me, um, these are uh, right, wrong, or different. There are consumers who are con- concerned about that, and, and that's important to them. And if they're willing to pay for it, then we need to be willing to sell it to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. How, how do you see this uh, impacting uh, the, the ethanol market? Where do, where do you yeah. see that, uh, that going? Yeah. Remember I talked about the fight between the, the far left and the, I'll call it the center left of the Democratic Party. I think this is going to be one of the, those places as a fight. You know, the, the Biden administration and their campaign white papers, because we had a lot of questions about well, what, is, what, is, what does a new Biden administration mean to agriculture? So did a lot of reading and study. And in his white papers, he talked about supporting the RFS, supporting biofuels, wanting those to go forward. All, all music to, to agriculture's ears. But at the same time, and literally almost the same paragraph, we want to, we want to support sustainability. We want to support you know, that. And you're thinking, okay, how do you do RFS and ethanol and internal combustion engines and gasoline but she's sort of sustainability, and that to me is going to be one of the Donnybrook fights about how do how do those how do we reconcile those differences? Um, you know, the RFS is up in 2023 for renewal. Um, that will be you know, and that's going to happen within a Biden administration. So there is a lot going on there, um, and I don't know how that gets reconciled. But the the Democratic Party, with from a policy perspective, is going to have to figure out how to reconcile that. Yeah. Well, hey, you just talked about uh, about reading a lot as well, and I'd like to like to do a, a quick offshoot here. But I gotta yeah. ask: uh, Have you been reading anything lately that uh, that you'd recommend to uh, to our listeners to go oh, out and read? Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, got a couple books on my table. I'm reading right now. Um, for those of you who are old like me, might remember Dan Morgan's uh, Merchants of Grain, published back in I believe 1979. It was it was the first court of or sort of peek into the grain world. And for people who don't have any ideas, it was a, it was a, you know, it was like, wow, didn't realize that these people had this much power. Now, most of those companies are gone other than Cargill at this point, um, which is interesting in and of itself. But there is a new one called The New Merchants of Grain that came out from a British author uh, who is kind of was encouraged to rewrite The New Merchants of Grain. So I'm reading that. His name is John Kingsman, I believe is the name. Um, it's a new merchants of grain, and it talks about the grain industry today. Also, does interviews with people, which is interesting uh, from a different perspective. And I just had a friend of mine in Iowa send me a book that's called Oh, now I can't remember. It's about Harry S. Truman. It's about uh, I was going to bring it downstairs, and now I can't remember. But it talks about the first really the first four months of administration, um, the accidental president. That's it, oh, and nice. it talks about his first um, his first four months in office. And, you know, people didn't know Harry S. Truman. He was a, a senator here from Missouri that was kind of nondescript, and and he didn't have much to do as vice president. And then Franklin Delano Roosevelt dies on April 12th, 1945, and the world changed. And it talks about, you know, use the word unprecedented. When you said that, I t- thought about the book. You think about, and I can't name all the things that happened, but in that time period, all the things that happened that he had to make decisions on, and he wasn't prepared because he wasn't even informed about the Manhattan Project. But, you know, Europe fell. 
the, the nuclear bomb was dropped. The, you know, the, the United Nations was formed. Um, the, the meeting between Churchill, Stalin, and Truman. And, and, and we think about all the things, and it kind of put in perspective all the things on Biden's plate, and, and not to diminish what he has in front of him because we were in the middle of a pandemic. But you think about that in Truman, and it's just almost overwhelming to think about. So those are the two books I'm looking at right now. It, it's a good book to help put in perspective what's happening today as well. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I will put that on my list. I, I love uh, I love documentaries. And, yeah, uh, me too. Know, especially on those kind of those kind of topics, uh, just yeah. absolutely wonderful. So, well, hey, the other thing that I was going to ask yeah. is, uh, you all have a podcast over at uh, Robo as well, right? right? We do. Uh, yeah. So, how, tell us about that, and how can folks, you know, our listeners, you know, f- find y'all? Sure. So. If you go out and Google on your or Google or go to your lo, your favorite podcast um, um, machine, Google North American Rabble Bank or North American Rabble Bank series podcast series, and you'll see a whole bunch of them come up, and you'll see our GNO podcast there. So we we do that monthly, and so our two our two GNO analysts, one of them being myself, and we have a, a group in within the bank called Markets, which helps farmers with risk management tools. Um, we, the three of us get together and we have a conversation once a month about what's happening. And so we tend to kind of do kind of five or six quick topics up front and then we'll do sort of a long piece. So we've done everything from, we have our colleagues who from South America or Europe will be in the office and we'll set them down and we'll have a conversation with them or we'll talk about, uh, we talked a lot about many things we've talked about here because of the importance of the markets and producers. Uh, and then we're, I think we're going to talk about animal feed because that's become a really hot topic uh, within the livestock community. So lots of different things we talk about. But go to your favorite podcast engine and uh, Google North American Rebel Bank podcast series and you'll find them pop up there. Thanks Steve, for asking. That is- that, that is absolutely great. Uh, I told you before we started recording, I've had the uh, pleasure of watching you present to our group uh, a couple different times and uh, having this conversation with you. I, I always look forward to, to your insights and, and just all your knowledge in this. Uh, so I would urge all of our listeners to go out there and, uh, and find your podcast. And, well, thank uh, and, you. I'd, and I'd also like to say thanks for, uh, thanks for joining ours here and uh, look forward to the next time that, uh, that we get to have a conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been great to, great to have a conversation with you. And these are, these are important topics to go through for producers, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Steve, and take care. Thank you, Clint. Uh-huh, you too. Hey, that was a great conversation with Steve. It's always great to talk to him. He's just incredibly knowledgeable, and we thank him for coming on the show, and I hope that you all enjoyed that conversation. With that, I do want to say if you liked our video, be sure to like the video, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notified each and every time that we come out with new content. Also, we're available wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, also on YouTube. So with that, we'll see you around the farm. (laughs) 